If you have your Bibles today, uh, you can go with me to 2 Kings. I've been wrestling with this passage. We were supposed to start a series uh, today and told our, our media team, let's not do that just yet. Um, we always make sure at Ocean's Church that we stay married to the Holy Spirit, and we just kind of date our plans. So we had a plan in place, and maybe we'll put it in place next week. But all week, I was kind of wrestling with this idea. I felt like it was a now word for our church. And uh, before I get into that, I just wanted to say a couple things. Um, first of all, I, I was praying last night, and I just tried to be really sensitive. One of my favorite things to do when I spend time with God is I go, God, is there anything specific that you want to share with your people before I get, you know, get started in anything else? And uh, a lot of times they give me ideas, uh, like the story. I mean, that, I don't remember ever doing that. I think it was I don't, maybe one time I've done that with the blood uh, marrow uh, or whatever it was that she shared. Um, I, I don't do that. I just, I just ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything specific you want to heal? Is there anything specific you want to say? And I do feel like last night he spoke to me very clearly. And this is what he told me to tell uh, someone in here needs to hear this, whether you're at San Juan or you're at Bake, is he wanted me to tell you that tragedy will not be the last word. Yes. It's like there's someone that you experienced loss. And I heard him say this. He said, tell them that I write redemptive stories. And a lot of time we judge... We, we judge the totality of God by the temporary circumstances we're in. That's always a bad idea. It's kind of like judging the gauge of a restaurant before they bring all the food out. I want to make sure I get all the food. Come on. Don't judge the menu just by the rolls. Come on. I've had good rolls and I've had bad food and I've had bad rolls and I've had some good food. Ideally, you want both. Can I get an amen from somebody? But I do want to say that I really felt like God wanted me to tell you that today. And I, I heard him say this also. He says, always ask me for more. He wants you to ask for more of him in your life. You know the number one ingredient for revival is God? I wasn't sure if you knew that. And um, he told me that the, the first thing that leaves you when you're unhealthy, you ever gotten a cold or a virus, the first thing that always leaves when you get sick is your appetite. And I just felt like the Lord was saying the month of December, I'm going to show people that maybe you're not as healthy as you thought you were because, you, to be honest, you don't, you've lost some of your fire and your appetite for God. I think that one of the ways we gauge if we're spiritually healthy is by our hunger level for God. If you can make it through a week without desiring his word, without desiring his presence, without singing to him, praying to him, petitioning him, enjoying his company, I think in some ways maybe you're sicker than you thought you were. You've lost your appetite. And I just felt like the Lord said, remind my people to always ask me for more. The heart needs reviving. And revival is living in God's glory. Amen. So last thing, can I say one thing? Uh, just last thing. I, I, I don't know why I asked you. I'm just going to do it. Um, welcome him into every part of your life. So that's what he wanted me to tell you before I got started today. You guys excited for today? Got your Bibles? <clears throat> hey, Second Kings, I was, I was reading all week, couldn't get away from it. I wasn't sure if it was just for me or for our staff. I was going to share it with the staff. The staff might hear this six times. But this will be the first time they get to hear it. So uh, if you have your Bible, uh, Second Kings chapter 3, I'm excited for today, excited for what God is doing. I think this is a now word for our church. I think where we're headed, what we're doing, what God's called us to do, as I mentioned before, if you want to uh, basically... See the favor, the blessing of God. Many times what we do is we ask God to bless what we're doing. Instead of asking God, God, what do you want to bless? Yes. I'm going to go after what you're blessing. Yes. Uh, if you show me what you want to build, I'll start building it. Yes. Can you imagine if Noah said, I'm going to build any random old thing and I want you to bless it and save me from the world in it. 
No, God had to figure out. Moses had to figure out. Yeah, uh, there we go. Uh, Noah. Turkey, man. It's real, right? Just a real hang. We'll keep going. Uh, gravy hangover. I, uh, Noah had to actually get the blueprints of heaven. And God blessed those blueprints. That's the problem with some of your prayers is you're asking God to bless things that he didn't endorse. Many times we start relationships that he wasn't in and then ask God to bless them later. I think that if we'll ask God in the beginning what he wants at the end, you'll see the hand of God work mightily in your lives. Many people are trying to ensure things that God never wanted them to buy. We ruin our lives, Solomon says, and then we blame God for it. Isn't that crazy? So who wants to acknowledge God in the beginning? Well, not the beginning of my life, preacher. Well, you can acknowledge God today. So uh, here's the good news. I got some good Can I share some good news today? I got 25 minutes to share good news. If uh, you're here today, 2 Kings chapter 3, powerful story. It's actually about a king. Um, Jehoram is the son of maybe the most wicked, uh, wicked king and queen in the history of the northern kingdoms. Uh, northern kingdoms actually never really had a good king in Israel's history. And I was reading this this week, and again, I, I know this is old. It's an ancient text, actually a powerful text. It's about the Moabites rebelling against Israel. And basically, over uh, during Ahab and Jezebel's reign, uh, the Moabites were giving 100,000 sheep a year, kind of like a taxation issue, to the Israelites. And then basically when King Ahab and Jezebel were dead and their son took power, he was younger, they thought this is the ideal moment to get out of their tyranny and to become independent and to rebel against Israel. So they did. And when they did, it created this huge war. And uh, basically Israel knew we can't take the Moabites by ourselves. We have to align with the other parts of our, of our nation. So from Samaria, they rallied and they reached out to a pretty godly king in Judah by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat actually reached out as well to a king of Edom, uh, and there was three kings that would try to mount up against these Moabites. And uh, the story we're going to read is a story that's actually historically true. Uh, it's actually interesting. It, it actually says, I, I studied this out last, last night, uh, that actually in the 1860s, they actually found proof of this passage. There's uh, 1868, the Moabite stone, also called the Misha steel, contains an inscription that confirms much of the events of 2 Kings chapter 3. So historically documented story. And as I was reading it, again, I, I, want, to, I want you to turn your attention to a couple things here. But notice here the, the scenario that they're in. I'm going to begin reading here in uh, chapter 9. So basically, this wicked king goes to a righteous king named Jehoshaphat. And he says, will you help me? The Moabites are rebelling. Will you fight them with me? He agrees to go. He says the king of Edom will go with us. Verse 9 is where we'll pick up. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that that roundabout route for seven days. How many days? There was no water for the army. Now, prior to this, they had already marched about 85 miles. So this is a long trip. There's not much water. They had to come from the south. There's a lot of details I don't need to get into. But it was a long journey, and they finally get there. And during while they're close, they spend seven days. And watch what it says here. That, and during the seven days on that route, there was no water for the army. There was no water for any of the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel, this is the wicked one, he says, Alas, for the king, uh, for the Lord has called us three kings together to deliver us into the hand of Moab. What I have found about people that are in darkness is they're usually suspicious of God because of their guilty conscience. 
That's why people that are living dark lifestyles, they think they have this ideology that God's looking to punish them because of their guilty conscience. So he has a guilty conscience. He knows he's living crazy, he's living wild. I heard one scholar say that God gives enough clarity to see the truth, but he gives enough ambiguity to believe in lies. Free will is dictated by the ability to choose what you real but because they don't want to deal with a supreme authority that's the biggest issue i would rather live in my own way my own terms my own ideologies i'll do what i want how i want whenever i want and the reason why i don't believe in god is not because he's not there and i don't have proof is that god has given me enough ambiguity not to see him so i can choose not to choose him it's a story of Jehoshaphat, or excuse me, of, of Je Jehoram. And it goes on, it says that this guy was suspicious. He goes, God set us up to fail. That's what he was saying. There's no water here. And he says, God's going to deliver us into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat, he's a righteous king. He says, is there no prophet of the Lord here that may, we, may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king had answered Israel, uh, Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Everybody knew Elijah. Elijah's the one that called down fire. Elijah's the one that took out the prophets of Baal. Elijah's the one that was a, was a bad man, meaning a good man. You guys with me? And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to Elisha. So imagine, troops stay seven days dehydrated. Seven days, no water. No animals have water. And it goes on. So they, they leave. They go down to the, this, this prophet named Elisha. And they said to the king of Israel, what? Uh, Elisha says to the king of Israel, excuse me, what do I do with you? Why don't you go to the prophets, the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother? But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Elijah said, as God the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I would not even regard the presence of you if it was not for the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. I wouldn't even look at you, nor see you. But because I regard the righteous king, he says, bring me a musician. Bring me, I love this verse, bring me a musician. And it says, then it happened, when the musician, when who? I love this. When the musician played his instrument, minstrel, he's probably playing a harp or stringed instrument, the hand of the Lord came upon the prophet. And he said, this is what God says. Make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of of ditches. I've heard this in my head and my dreams all week. Make this valley full of ditches. And the Lord, you shall not see wind, you will not see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And I love what he says in verse 18. And this will be a simple thing for God to do. He will also, by the way, deliver you from the Moabites. He'll deliver them into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and he shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. 
Now it happened in the morning and the grain offering was offered that suddenly, suddenly, the water came by way of Edom. Scholars say it was likely a flash flood from the rain from the high places. Filled the land with water. If you continue reading the story, it says that when the Moabites arrived, they thought that the three kings killed each other and that the valley was filled with blood. They thought the water was blood. And because they did, they tried to advance. And when they advanced, Israel gained victory over them. God used the very water that satisfied their thirst to defeat their enemies. And I, I just had this, this it's kind of like this repetitive thought of God wanting to tell his church to start digging in the valley. Digging in the valley. Digging in the valley. I know politically we're in a valley. I know economically we're in a valley. I know when it pertains to uh, racial issues, social issues, economic issues. Come on, we're in a valley. And I just felt like the Lord said, it's time for my people, like the musician, to know how to play the instrument and know how to start digging Digging, 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 digging in the valley. Let's pray together. Lord, we just love you. We invite you to speak to your people. We ask you, Lord, to confirm that this is your word by, Lord, healing the sick, by commanding the darkness to lead people that are, that are in bondage, in tyranny. I ask you today, Spirit of God, that you would move with might, with power, and by your spirit. We invite you, Lord God, meet us where we are, to lead us where you want us to be, and to transform us into the image of your glorious son, Jesus. We honor you today. We welcome you as the guest of honor. Have your way at Bake and at San Juan, all over California, we pray today. Revive our land as we dig ditches. In Jesus' name, and God's people said a hearty amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know, I was thinking about this uh, this weekend, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. You pretty much get emails from every place you've ever bought anything. You notice that? Got more emails in the last 48 hours. It's like, did I ever buy anything at your store? How did you get, I like it when you hit the unsubscribe button. I, I'll be honest, one of my great joys in life is going through emails and clicking unsubscribe. It's like, not today, devil. Not again. And I hit that unsubscribe button, and it gives you those options like, are you getting too many? I'm like, yes. <laughs> then it gives the other options. Did you ever sign up for this? No. How did you get my information? And I just can't stand all these, all these emails, and they're, they're advertising Black Friday deals, which were pretty much the prices before our president took office. Um, and so, sorry, too soon, too soon. It's just, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was just not a great, not a great deal. Sorry, sorry, just a joke, just a joke. Um, but it wasn't like great, great deals. It just, yeah. And so um, getting all these emails, getting spammed to death with all these emails. And uh, I don't know, I was just thinking about this kind of frustration, just these, all these bombardments of advertisements and such. And uh, I don't know, I was just thinking about this, um, this kind of season that we're in right now. Uh, economically, it's kind of a weird time in history. And uh, I, I, again, I was, I was on our trip this week, and I was reading this, and I thought the Lord was just reminding me. He's like, Mark, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a valley right now. And many times, you don't know you're in a valley until you look back in life. Right. I don't know if you've ever been there before. You're like, man, I, don't, I, don't re I didn't realize how stressed I was until I got out of that season. Right. Like, wow, that's why my hair started turning gray, and my hair started getting raptured. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I heard a bald guy say, I'm not bald. Everybody's just hairy. 
I was thinking about this, though. We're kind of in a valley right now. I think that even when we look back in a few years, we'll say, man, 2020, 2021, 2022. This is kind of weird environment. I've never seen anything like it. And as I was reading this week, God brought me this story, and he just told me very clearly, he just said, Mark, I want you to tell my people to start digging in the valley. I don't want you to complain in it. I don't want you to whine in it, sulk in it. I want you to dig. Say with me, dig. Come on, the great scholar Joe Dirt said, life's a garden. You got to what? You got to dig it. You got to dig it. It's a joke. Dig it. Dig, dig, dig. Say with me, dig. It's interesting. I've, uh, back when I was growing up, one of the things that I did a lot is I, I dug a lot of ditches. My brother John was a professional dirt jumper on BMX bikes. I spent the good part of probably seven years of age to about 18, 17 years of age in deserts digging. We would often dig after it would rain. It was the easiest climate to dig is after the rain. You don't want to dig before it rained because you were just digging hard ground. But after the rain, it was easy to dig. Confession of a pastor. Come on, I wasn't always a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. Probably one of the, the things I stole, if I could be honest, just get a confessional out today. The one thing I'm guilty of probably stealing more than anything in my whole life is when I was a kid, we lived in the high desert. We lived in the hood. We had a death wish, apparently, because we would go through neighborhoods at night and steal hoses. We'd hook them up to Albertson so we could water our dirt fields. And we would dig, we would dig. We'd leave the water on all night so the ground would get soft enough so we could dig our jumps. And I did a lot of digging. Digging's difficult. I don't know if you ever dug uh, physical labor. Probably my least favorite job was uh, laying sod and digging ditches for landscaping. Hard job. Digging ditches, digging jumps, hard work. It's physical labor. And I, I always, I don't know why, I kind of see the humor in the Bible when I read it. And I think about this story about how, how just honestly, how, de, uh, I don't know, just discouraging. And there's a word I have, but I can't pull it out of my brain right now. But how, I don't know, just disappointing it would have been to be marching for seven days, dehydrated, and literally your kings are like, look, we don't know where the water is. We got an army, we got to fight. You're all not ready to fight anybody because you're so thirsty. I don't know if you've ever been dehydrated before, but all you want is, all, I don't care about anything else, so I just want to drink something. And they're like, look, you're not going to drink something. You got to fight for your life. And the only thing worse, man, than being dehydrated and being on the brink of being defeated by a, by a hydrated, healthy army is when your kings go, we're going to go talk to a prophet. We're going to get good news on how we find water. And they come back from the prophet. Here's the comic element of the story. And they're like, where's the water? And they said, all right, we got some good news and we got some bad news. Good news is the water's coming. Bad news is the only thing worse than being dehydrated and marching for seven days is when someone says, all right, to fix this problem, we got to start digging. I know the last thing you want to do is touch a hammer, touch a shovel. I know the last thing you want to do is break more of a sweat. How many of sweating, it actually requires more water? But notice this, that God doesn't give him any. This one is just kind of, was getting my attention, is God gave no signs that rain was coming. Like, I would have appreciated personally if I was in the military. Like, well, prove it. Show me some clouds. But Elisha throws that little, like, come on, that little clause in there, and there'll be no rain. You're telling me there's no rain, but water's coming? You're telling me there's no storm clouds, but water's coming? You're telling me there's no physical evidence that God is going to do what we need him to do, but there's no signs of it? Kind of a frustrating situation to be in. Well, why would I dig if there's no evidence that God's going to hold up his end of the bargain? 
and I think this is kind of the, net, the narrative of scripture, is that people of faith, we don't wait till we see clouds to start digging. We don't wait for revival to show up to start declaring that revival is here. We don't, we don't do that. We don't, we don't say God's going to do something powerful after he does it. We start doing it on the front side of it. Started digging. And I love the story because there's a macro and a micro element of the story. The macro is this. Is Notice this. I kind of want to show you these two things. The first, the macro picture is this, is that in times of distress, notice that the key to encounter is, number one, worship. Here's the macro picture of life. When you are faced with a spiritual drought, when you are thirsty for something that you didn't realize you were in need of, as I mentioned before, some of you didn't know you weren't healthy until right now when you realize, I have been completely happy living without God. You are spiritually sick because you have no appetite for the things of God. But here's the good news. When God gives you an appetite, he'll, he'll say, I want you to drink of me. Now it's time to get ready for the water. What do you do when you get ready for the water? Well, the first thing we know is before the water came, worship had to come. Elisha says, you guys want water? Bring me a... I'm a what? A musician. Most people underestimate the power of worship. Most people underestimate the power of music. Do you know that music is ancient? Do you know music was here before we were here? Do you, know that, do you know that music wasn't made for humanity? Do you know that music was made for God? Do you know why you connect with feelings? You don't connect any other time outside of music. Because music was made by God for God. And there is something about music being leveraged towards Him that accesses an element of His presence, His glory, His splendor that we don't touch without music. You listen to dark, heavy metal, you start feeling dark. You listen to the music that was written in rage, you feel rage. You listen to music that was written with, with euphoric hallucinogenics, and you start tripping in your own thoughts. But it's amazing that when you actually, when you start declaring and singing the lyrics of someone that is, in, that is intoxicated with the Spirit of God, you start getting a glimpse of heaven. Why is it at church, you're like, I don't know why, but when they were singing... Felt this peace that passes. You're telling me there's something beyond my logic and my understanding? Yeah, it's the presence of God. Who is the Prince of? Peace follows His presence. And presence oftentimes is a result of worship. Bring me a musician. Bring me a musician. You know, I heard the Lord saying, I heard Him saying this the church is called to be the nameless musician. You know we are as the people of God? We are the nameless musician. I am grateful. I am grateful that in 1860s, they have a documented memorial stone of a historical event that actually happened in 2 Kings chapter 3 that impacted nations, millions of people. And the, the keystone of the whole miracle was a nameless musician. We don't know his name. We don't know. He's not some famous musician. I'm glad that the Bible left the ambiguity that his name didn't matter. What mattered was that when his moment was called upon to play his instrument to God, that the man of God could connect with God because of the skill of the musician. I'm telling you, we don't determine when God calls us, but we are responsible to be ready when he does. And it is the church that is the nameless musician that sets the stage for the kings of the world to hear the voice of God. 
Bring me a musician. You know why some of your ideas are gold at church? Because as David and as Nadej and as Mel and these people, as they go after God with their instruments, we start hearing the voice of God clearly. Worship leads us into encounter. And the problem with most Western world Christians is we think that worship is for us. They didn't sing my song today. We're not singing for you. I didn't like that set. We weren't, it wasn't your set. It was God's set. He was listening. We weren't singing to you. And too many Christians in America, we think that the band is hired to sing to you. They're not hired to sing to you. Truth be told, none of our musicians are even hired. Well, I went to this church that Grammy musicians. Da, 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 da. Well, it's because they're paying all of them. These people are doing it for the love of it. And that's why the oil is so clean here. We don't have hired guns. We have worship leaders. There's a difference between a skilled musician and someone that worships God. And that's why I love it. Gwen Stefani going to Bodie. I don't know exactly what it is. But you just have a way of connecting your heart to the lyrics. It's the Spirit of God. Worship leads to encounter. Too many people come to church, listen to music to be entertained. Listen to me. Come on, California. The purpose of worship isn't lattes and spectatorship. Can't tell how many churches. I grew up in California. I used to make fun of California Christians because they go to church, the little round coffee tables, they'd have their muffins and their lattes, and everyone's just kind of sitting down, bobbing their foot like they're at a coffee shop jam session. I'm not here to be entertained by how good Stacy tickles the ivories. I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to be entertained by David's free-flowing songs, by Nate's ability to pound on the drums. I'm not at a U2 concert, Coldplay concert. I'm not here to be entertained. Worship is an entrance point for encounter. Elisha goes, you need a word from God? Bring me a musician. Bring me someone that knows how to touch the heart of God. And I'm telling you, that's what the church is called to be. We're called to be the unnamed heroes that know how to touch the heart of God. And when musician and worship goes up, encounter begins to break out. People that never heard God's voice start going, I think God was talking to me today. What did he tell you? Well, he told me to stop doing drugs. That's probably God. He told me to break up my girlfriend. What's her name? Jezebel. Yeah, it's probably God. I think God's speaking today. The preacher didn't tell you to do that. That was God. What happens? Worship. Are you hearing me today? It unlocks encounters. And when you have a true encounter, this is how you know you have an encounter or not. Encounters are always followed by instructions. Let's use the phraseology mission. We'll use the phraseology mission. Because when you have an encounter with God, you'll get a mission from God. You get a mission. You get a mission. And when you get a mission from God, it's uh, you get a mission, and mission's instructions, and then after you get a mission or uh, instruction, put, put, the, uh, put me back on the screen, guys. Uh, the last thing that happens is there'll either be a miracle or there'll be faith that grows in God. Yeah. You know what I found? When you obey the voice of God, it doesn't always result in a miracle. 
This case it did. They actually heard God, dug the ditches, and when they dug the ditches, God provided the water. It was a miracle. And the miracle didn't just water the army. Here's what's cool about God. The kings wanted water. God wanted victory. Sometimes our hunger level is way below what God is looking for. You want God to pay your bills. God wants you to bless nations. <laughs> I just want to have enough for me. That's selfish. Well, I'm not one of those greedy Christians that wants more of everything. I don't need more money. There's two extremes in the, in the church world. There is the materialistic slant that, that gauges your spirituality by how much money you have, how much status you have, how much success you have. And the other extreme is gauge your spirituality by how much you don't have. That your lack makes you more spiritual. They're both utterly wrong. The heart of God is that he would give you all that you need and more than what you need so you can help others. And anyone that's just content to stay where you are with what you have is living at some level of selfishness. I want God to overflow on me so I can encourage somebody else. I need more hope than what I need so I can offer more to others. I need more faith than what I just need so I can offer faith to others. I need more physical resources than I need so I can offer help to others. So encounter, know this, encounter leads to mission, instructions. Mission instruction leads to obedience and action. And when you obey and you act, John Wimber used to call it follow the promptings, FTP. That when you actually have an encounter with God, he'll give you an instruction. He'll call it a prompting. Share this with this person at the register. Roll your window down and tell this lady something. Go back and tell that guy in the mall, I love him. When you follow the promptings, it's crazy how miracles break out. And you know what's crazy? Even when they don't break out, you know what grows? Your faith. What about when you pray for something and it doesn't happen? I've learned this. Sometimes regardless of the outcome, my faith still grows. My uncle's church in Seattle, Washington had a lady in their church die younger and he said the whole church believed that God would raise her from the dead they had a biblical precedent to believe that so the church fasted the church prayed and after three days they tried to pray for her that she would come back to life sounds pretty radical right I love how we gauge radical by anything that we wouldn't do it's crazy why would they do that kind of thing if that was your wife what would you do let me say another way if that was your daughter I would just that's just weird no I would I take some crazy and weird if, we're, if it's in the Bible, I'm going after it. I'm, just, I'm letting you know in advance. If something ever happened to my family, I am going crazy on the devil. We're fast, grow out a beard like John the Baptist, locust, wild honey. I'm going Whole Foods all the way. Bring them back. The church fasted and prayed. Lady didn't get revived. But my uncle's takeaway was this. He goes, what was interesting is our church's faith ne- level never returned to what it was before that. It was as though we took a new dimension of faith that everybody that walked into the doors of our church experienced this mature faith that we developed in the absence of our answer. Dallas Willard says, I'm grateful for the percentage of prayers that God didn't answer. For he had a better end result in mind. How many are, are, are mature enough now to realize God, thank you for not answering every one of those prayers. Some of that stuff was stupid. That would have made me happy for six days. I'm grateful. You still with me today? 
I'm grateful that we go into either miracles or we grow in faith in God when we obey his actions. Bring me a position. So here's a story. i got to rattle this out quickly here today. But here's the micro picture of the story. That's why I want to probably spend too much time on the other stuff. Is that, you guys still okay? You didn't know that until I told you that. All right. Micro. Thanks, Adesh. Micro is this. The only thing worse than digging ditches is digging after you haven't drank for seven days. It's interesting. God said, musician played, God spoke to the man of God. He says, dig ditches in the valley. There's dry riverbeds. God says, it's not going to rain. You're not going to see any water. But guess what? The water will come, and it's going to fill up everywhere you dig. So the first thing that God asked him to do is he asked him to dig on an empty stomach. And I feel like the Lord wanted to tell some of you that feel like you have an empty stomach today to start digging. Sometimes we wait until God satisfies our desires to start digging. I think it's time to show up to prayer before you have your answers. I think it's time to actually start going after God before we see the result that we desire. God says start digging on an empty stomach. I think too many times we don't see miracles in America because we're waiting for God to satisfy our desires before we start digging. God says dig on an empty stomach. Dig before it happens. Dig before you see it. Believe God before it shows up. It's easy to believe God for things you see. Paul says you don't hope for stuff you have. You hope for what you don't have yet. Faith is the evidence of things not yet. We got to dig before we see it. I'm telling you, I believe that at, at Ocean's Church, along with some of the great churches of Orange County, we are digging holes. We are digging we're digging trenches that God is going to fill with his presence. Some of you came in today and you're like, I feel water here. It's because we've been digging. I feel the presence here. We've been digging. We've been digging on Tuesdays. We've been digging on Thursdays. We are a church that knows how to dig. Come on, somebody. Why do I feel presence here? It's because we have a church full of diggers. We're digging. And we'll dig on an empty stomach. Why? Because our capacity of water will be determined by how much we do or don't dig. Do you know some of you don't realize this? Grab a seat. I'm almost out of here. We'll realize this, but the story is powerful because God puts the ownership on us for how much we want to contain. Do you know God didn't put a limit on how many ditches he would fill? He didn't put a limit on how big the ditches could be. And I'll be honest, the last thing you'd want to do when you're exhausted, tired, and dehydrated would be to dig a lot of ditches and to dig big ditches. But on the other side of faith, those that dug the most had the most. And I believe the reason, you mark my words, over the next two years, regardless of what happens in America, we will continue to dig. And when the dust settles and the storm passes, there will be a well of water in this ocean's church. People go, where'd you get all that water? We were digging. When it didn't look like it was worth digging, we were digging. When it didn't look like there could be a way to believe, we were believing. We will dig when no one else digs so we can accumulate what God wants. The digger determined how much God would fill. Do you know the capacity of the water is determined more by the diggers, not by the filler? God fills, we dig. Write this down. The more you dig, the more you receive. The more you dig, the more you receive. The ones that went all in 
in the faith process, digging in hard dirt, sweating their face off, completely weak, dehydrated and shaky. When the water came, they had more than anybody else. And I felt like the Lord said, this is that window in California. When the world says, California is going to fall into the ocean, I say yes and amen. It's called Ocean's Church. They're going to fall all the way in to this water. We'll be one of the churches that they fall into. We're going to be a church that remembers this, that without digging, the blessing of God would have passed them by. Imagine this, a flash flood comes through. If they wouldn't have obeyed God's voice to dig, you know what would have happened? The water would have came and gone. You know why most revivals cease to exist? Not because they weren't initiated, but because they could not be sustained. What sustains revival is not the water passing through. It was those that chose to dig a place that the water could dwell. We're going to dig ditches that don't just cause revival, but sustain them. My prayer is that we have a multi-generational revival. Much like the monarch butterfly that fly from Mexico to Canada over the span of four generations. It's wild that it takes four generations for a monarch butterfly to start in Mexico, to, to, to actually have its next batch cocoon, have a caterpillar, and then that becomes a butterfly, and that flies instinctively north. And that one goes as far as it can, and it lays its eggs. That's how much I know about butterflies and the cocoon, and the butterfly, and the caterpillar, and that grows, and that flies north, and four generations in, that makes it to its destination. Do you know that God's awakening is a multi-generational affair? What God is starting with us, He will do with our kids. And what He does with our kids, He will take to the next generation. And our grandkids, and our great-grandkids, lest the Lord tarry, will reap the fruit of what we dig. I am a living example of what a praying grandmother and a digging grandfather can do. I believe that I'm serving water to this church that my grandma and my grandpa dug in prayer. Don't ever underestimate prayers because they do not die. You will, your prayers won't. God will listen to those prayers until it fills up the bowls of heaven. And when the, when the bowls are full, he pours out the prayers, which is the prayers of the saints. Without digging, remember this, the blessing would have passed them by. Number five, God asks us to do what we can. Say with me, dig. So that he can do what he can. Say with me, fill. Do you know that we do this? That's why we pray. How many know that God knows everything? I've been on this crazy deep little trail this week. I was, I don't know, reading some stuff from guys that are just way too smart. But one, one scholar says that God chooses sometimes in his omnipotence that he doesn't let his omniscience determine his omnipotence he said it this way he says you know God knows all the snot the amount of snot in every sheep on the earth but by his omnipotence he chooses not to be aware of it all the time God knows everything but he can choose to not think about something and I was thinking about this idea that God, even through prayer, knows what we're going to pray before we pray it. So why would you pray if he already knows? You ever, had a, you ever had a child come up to you and tell you something that you already knew? I hope so. Otherwise, they might be raising you. My daughter came up to me one time and she's like, Daddy, I learned in school today that 5 plus 5 equals 10. 
You know what in that moment? I acted like I had no idea. Really? Yeah. Well, 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 well Chloe, what's four plus four? Eight. And I was like, whoa. I already knew. But because I wanted to connect with my daughter, I chose to be aware of what she was sharing in a fresh light. He knows what you ask before you ask it, but he still tells you to ask. He knows that you're going to knock before you knock, but he still tells us to knock. He knows you're going to seek before you seek, but he still commands us to seek. God wants to co-partner with you and I in this journey of digging what you can dig so he can fill what only he can fill. It's kind of like Moses on the mountain. God could have brought about victory for Joshua without Moses, but God chose to link the obedience of Moses to the victory of Joshua. God chooses to use our hands lifted to distribute the power of his answered prayers. This is what we do. God asks us to do what we do, which is to dig, so that he can do what he can do, which is to fill. And the last thing I would tell you today is that kings wanted water. God wanted victory. And I don't know who you are and where you are today, but maybe you're in a valley right now and you're like, I don't know what to do with my marriage. I just like the Lord says, keep digging in prayer. I don't know what I'm doing with my kids. Just keep digging in prayer. You don't understand, Mark, my industry right now is being hit so hard in the recession. Here's my, here's my advice. You get into the prayer room. If you can come on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I encourage you. We have CEOs, executives coming to our prayer meetings on Tuesdays, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. Some are paying their entire staffs to come. They're on the clock at our prayer time. And they're getting ideas for their companies. I'm telling you that if you'll dig, God will bring the water. You get an idea that no one in your industry has ever thought of. Anybody believe that having a phone line to heaven should give you an advantage? No? If you're in San Juan, I'd say half the room believes that statement. Who believes that if you're close to God, you have an advantage? Come on, San Juan. So here's my prayer as we close, is that we're calling the church to be the musicians. We're calling the church to begin to worship so that the world can begin to encounter. Do you know the church deserves, I would say this way, the world deserves an encounter that the church is supposed to provide. And we provide that encounter by being a church that knows how to worship God. Bring me a worshiper, a musician. Let him play skillfully. And as the unnamed musician played, the Spirit of God came over him with a mission statement. Dig ditches. And I'm not telling you that you have to physically dig something. Here's what I do know. Every miracle in the Old Testament was very simple. Here's the formula. Pray and obey. If it's ridiculous, do it, and God will do the miraculous. Build a boat. He built a boat. Miracle happened. Go to the king. Praying fast. Miracle happened. Jump into a pit on a snowy day, fight a lion. Miracle happened. Didn't matter who they are or where they were. Obedience to God's instructions leads to victory every time. Obedience to God's instructions, even in a valley, leads to victory every time. You guys with me? Stand your feet today. I want to pray for you. We're going to dig. Say with me, dig. I believe that we're going to dig in the valley right now. I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. I, I do believe this, though. I think there is a spiritual famine of the likes of which we've never seen before. And I believe it's the church's job to bring food to a hungry world. We do this, ladies and gentlemen. 
We do this by the preaching of this message that I'm sharing with you today, that God alone is the one that provides the water. God alone is the one that satisfies the thirsty soul. Come on, God alone is the one that can raise people up when they are dehydrated. So we're going to dig. I want to pray for you today. Can you close your eyes? You ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? What are you saying to me through this message? How many today feel like there's a valley in your life that you feel like God's asking you to get the shovel out and to start digging? Someone in here, you're cursing the very area that God's going to bless. And I heard the Lord just saying, stop cursing the area that can capture my blessing. You know, we don't gauge sometimes what holes we dig and where we dig them. Some of you are digging holes in maybe a maybe direct sales, some of you are digging holes in your small business, some of you own restaurants, some of you are school teachers. I just hear the Lord saying, dig whatever hole is in front of you. Dig it. Dig it as deep as you can in the classroom. Dig it as deep as you can in your marriage. Invite God into every area of that idea. And you watch how he brings the water. You watch how everybody else is in drought and there is plenty of water in front of your house. You watch how everybody else is going, I don't know how we're going to make it out of this. And you have reservoirs and basins of water that God filled because you dug when everybody else was complaining. We're not a complaining church. We're a digging church. People are cursing California. I'm not cursing it. This is the state that's going to bless the world. This is the state that's going to bless the world. We're going to dig and we're going to keep on digging in California and there's going to be a flow of God's spirit of the likes of which the world has never seen. We're diggers. All over the room today, would you say, God, speak to me. How many feel like God's challenging you to start digging in an area? Stop, stop complaining about it. Stop cursing it and just start digging there. Would you just raise your hands? You feel like God's asking you. I'm, st- I'm going to stop speaking negative over my, my business or my child or my, my parents or my grandparents or my grandkids. I'm, I'm going to done cursing it. I'm going to start blessing it and digging in prayer. Would you lift your hands all over today? I just pray. Holy Spirit, you would make us a people that know how to see the invisible and to believe for the impossible. We are faith people. By faith, Abraham being divinely warned. God, I thank you that by faith, Noah being divinely warned, he built an ark to prepare, Lord, for what was coming. By faith, Abraham offered to God his one and only begotten son. By faith, by faith, by faith. So I ask you today that by faith we would dig in the valley. We would dig in the valley, dig in the valley. Oceans, dig in the valley. God's going to pour out resources. God's going to pour out ideas and strategies and inventions. Some of you will write curriculums that change major universities. I see some of you men creating ideas and software that no one has thought about before. There is Elon Musk type ideas coming out of the local church. There are those that are going to shake the world with media coming out of the local church. God, raise up kingdom people that take over in Jesus' name. Dig, 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 dig in Jesus' name. Come on, you're here today. You say, Mark, I want to live with God. I want to dig for God. Maybe you're not living with Jesus, but today as we end this service, you say, Mark, I want to invite God into my life. I'm going to pray for healing in just a second. We'll be out of here in about two minutes. But if you're here today and you know you're not living with God and for God and he's here, he's knocking at the door of your heart, I'm going to invite you right now to raise your hands all over the tents today, all over San Juan. If you're listening to me, just do me a favor. On the count of three, 
You say, Mark, I want to recommit my faith to God today. Or for the very first time, I want to invite Jesus in. Would you raise your hand on the count of three all over the room today? One, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, give them the courage to not miss this moment. Two, overflow your love right now. Call them sons, call them daughters. In Jesus' name, three. Would you raise your hand real high? I'm ready to rededicate. Yeah, all, all over, all over, all over, all over. Keep it up real high. No one's looking, no one's looking, no one's looking. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Real high, that's awesome. Eight, real high. Nine, thank you. Ten, yeah, yeah, yeah. See ten hands over there. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. More hands. I love it. 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 Fourteen hands. So awesome. Hey, Oceans, let's pray with those 14 people today. San Juan, raise your hands as well. Let's pray this prayer all over. Say, Jesus, I invite you to meet me here today. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you lead me and guide me into your truth? And would you direct my life as master, CEO, and Lord from this day forward? Jesus Christ is my God from here out in Jesus name you pray that prayer go ahead and say amen you pray that prayer come on give God a hand clap today. that's amazing 13 that's a lot of people for first service do me a favor as we finish this up uh, last thing we do every week here at Oceans if you pray that prayer by the way this is not the end it's the beginning I'd encourage you to come back next week Christians love churches like snowboarders like snow come on they love their Bible like snowboarders like mountains. It's hard to be a Christian without being around other believers. So join a church, get a Bible. We have Bibles for you today. And uh, you download it for free on your phone, the Bible app. And if you're not involved in a small group, I really encourage you this week, get involved on our website, click on small groups, grab a seat. Actually, no, no, stay standing, stay standing. Last thing we do. If you need a miracle today, we pray every week for healing. I know we're over on time, but I'd rather go to a church that ends over with God present that ends on time with no presence. So all over San Juan and Big, if you're here today and you say, Mark, I would love it if God would meet me here today or heal me where I'm at. Physically, blood condition, clots, cancer, uh, thyroid. Uh, man, there's just people today, all kinds of issues. I feel it right now. Someone has an ear issue today. God's healing your ear. I think someone's left ear is messed up. God's going to heal your ear today. Scar tissue in your ear. All over the room today, would you just do me a favor? Raise your hand. I need to touch from heaven. We're going to pray one fast prayer. We'll get you out of here, I promise. Real quick, need a touch from heaven. Need a touch. Need a touch. I need a touch. If you could all over the room right now, find one person. Put your hand on their shoulder. Maybe just one or two people. Just put your hand on their shoulder. Jesus said, not me, Jesus said, my followers will lay hands on the sick and they will. Not might, they, they, they not, not they might, they, help me out, Ocean Church, they, they will recover. So we lay hands on them right now. We pray this prayer in faith. Say, Jesus, we ask, we believe, we ask, we knock, we seek that you would heal, touch, and do what only you can do. By the power of the blood of the Lamb, wash, fill, and heal their body, mind, and spirit in Jesus' name. We cast out darkness and we invite the spirit of light. Holy Spirit, heal now in Jesus Christ's name. If you receive that, just say amen. 
Come on, would you give God 10 seconds of hand clap? He's a good God.